Hello, everyone. We're on episode 13, correct, Mo? I think that's it, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of losing track now. We're on episode 13. Let's just call it episode 13. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Jamie, who is running a company called Vertical Future. And Vertical Future caught my eye. This all kind of happens through serendipity uh, and kind of, you know, wonderfulness of social media. Somebody asked, what is WeWork going to be used uh, in this kind of pandemic situation now? Uh, one of the VCs asked that, and I posted a comment, vertical farming. And then somebody commented Jamie into the thread, and uh, Jamie runs Vertical Futures. And then I just reached out to Jamie and said, let's talk about this on the podcast. So, Jamie, before uh, you know me ranting off on a big sort of introduction here, can you please introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Sure. So, um, hi everyone. I'm uh, I'm Jamie Burrows, and I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Vertical Future, which um, I set up with uh, my wife. So, kind of a family business in a way. Uh, in uh, sep- um, September 2016, so almost uh, four years now. So, what is the purpose of Vertical Future? What is the purpose of the company? So, uh, our ultimate goal is is effectively to improve po- population health. And um, we want to do that through through creating a better, smarter, more intelligent um, food system. So uh, my, my background's in, in health economics. I worked in consulting in kind of life sciences before. And I've always been interested in the, um, the relationship between uh, technology and food and health. And really, vertical farming is a way to, to, to link up, to integrate um, all three of them. Fantastic. Cool. Um, that's a nice way to put it, Jimmy. I remember seeing 10, 15 years ago um, in books that I would read, you know, uh, images of futuristic cities with like uh, greenery, trees, shrubbery everywhere. So it's kind of cool to see that in 2020, these things coming about, right? Um, so what I'd like to ask you then, because obviously agricultural technology and uh, vertical farming is also part of this move towards kind of a, a more sustainable food chain, right? So instead of importing things from far away, having them more closer. So what I'd like to do is just kind of ask you whose people's lives are going to be impacted. And so not just the farmers, but also the consumers. Like, you know, how, how are our lives going to change through the democratization of these urban farming initiatives? In the short term, the main benefit is going to be for, I'd say, mid to high-end consumers. Because like any, any new market or new system or new technology that's, that has to be proven, because we're, we're effectively in maybe the second or third phase of proof of concept. It's an evolving industry. So I would say the direct social benefits of vertical farming, i.e. bringing down the wholesale price of, of produce and producing on massive scale is really something which is going to take a long time. Um, vertical farming is also only possible for particular types of food. So you're not going to grow pineapples in vertical farms or, or avocados. Um, so there is a limit to it. Um, I would say right now the, the main um, beneficiaries of, of what we do is because we because we uh, we set up our sites primarily in urban areas of multiple deprivation. It's it's about giving people jobs. So um, and then because we work with the B two B sector, the main benef- beneficiaries there are obviously chefs who are getting fresher produce, 
um, more ethical produce that doesn't have um, pesticides, um, where there are kind of fewer food miles. And then the ultimate beneficiaries of that are obviously your end consumers because they're eating better produce. Um, and it's important to say as well that it's, while it is a premium product, it's not a premium price point. The food sector is a very, um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult sector to compete in because, you know, a, a lot of the traditional farms have been around for many decades and um, price sensitivity is um, almost top of the list for a lot, a, a lot of chefs. So, um, so I jumped around a bit there, but yeah, prim primarily I, I think my whole point is that the, the wider system impact, um, we probably have a long way to go until you, you see something like that. So talking about systems, um, you know, one of my favorite gurus at the moment is Sadhguru, who uh, you know, made a bit of a remark recently where he said, you know, you lot, now you're going to see with the pandemic hitting and all that stuff. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to be rushing to the farmers, you know, and really appreciating their power, right? And understanding that farmers are in the most powerful kind of position because they're growing their own food. They're actually the most potentially self-sustainable people. Uh, how come we've gone from this kind of what previously or in the times past where people who had lots of their own uh, you know, gardens and local farms to this kind of mass produced system. And now we seem to be going back to what used to work before and a lot more kind of local produce. Tell us a little bit about those kind of systemic changes that are happening in, in the world. I think the first thing I'd say as well is that I slightly disagree with the first comment in that I think the true power rests with the seed producers. So, mm -hmm. Um, if farmers don't have seeds, they can't really do a lot. And there are very few farmers that are um, basically producing their own seeds um, and using them. So I'd say that um, you have to go even further back in the supply chain to think about where the, the power structure is. Um, I think obviously there's been a move towards globalization. So it, it makes sense that um, as technology improves and, um, you know, with the, on, you know, the onset of the internet and all these kind of things um, and some people getting richer, some people getting poorer. In general, um, people want more and people want more choice. And um, maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago, there were certain food products that you couldn't get, but now you can, they're available. So um, in order to obviously be able to procure those type of products at a reasonable price, um, there has to be some degree of, um, I wouldn't say factory farming, um, but reliance on global food systems because the climates the climate in the uk or in most countries do not allow us to produce every type of food um so yeah i i think i don't know if there's been a, a serious move yet back to the localization of food systems i would say that at the minute people are panicking a little bit and they're thinking about well you know now we're going through a pandemic and um now we everything needs to be grown just down the the street but um i think that's a little bit unrealistic um it's just not going to happen. I think um, in the future, let's say this pandemic has a really significant long-term impact on the way that we procure food and what we consume. People are going to need to rebalance maybe the type of products that they, uh, they consume because um, there's no way that we're going to continue, be able to continue going on the way that we are um, without there being at least some big impact on price or, or something. Um, and I'd say more broadly, um, other things which have pushed people towards 
um, vertical farming and choice and all that. I mean, you've seen the um, an increase in the number of uh, vegans, uh, vegetarians, um, people in, um, very interested or invested in um, better future from an environmental standpoint. Um, we're seeing the effects of, of climate change, which is obviously a big one as well. And um, I'm, I'm a big believer that that's going to have a severe impact uh, on the way that we, we live in the future. I think so water is going to be a serious thing we need to think about. Um, but yeah, so it, it's multiple factors that appear to be kind of aligning. Um, unfortunately, they're negative factors for the wider society and planet, but actually they kind of work in favor of the vertical farming sector. So, I mean, I'd love to um, bounce off of two comments that you made um, around sovereignty of food, right? So you mentioned the seeds, and I think this is something that we really need to talk about. Um, I was recently reading about, you know, farmers who essentially you know, buy a GMO, I mean, it's not a debate for or against GMO, that's a different debate, but, you know, buy like GMO seeds from Monsanto, uh, seed them, harvest them, etc. And then basically they can't actually replant them the next year. They need to kind of license out these seeds from Monsanto, right? And there's also been issues with like, you know, planes going over in other fields, kind of uh, putting out products that will destroy your crop. If it's, if, if you kind of been, you know, making Monsanto stuff push, without having bought it and getting a lawsuit. So I think there's a big issue around sovereignty and saying, okay, what is an actual common human, uh, I'm looking for the English word, happens to be in French sometimes. What is a common human wealth, right, um, in terms of seeds? Because you could take the coronavirus for an example, this cure isn't going to belong to a pharmaceutical or is going to belong to humanity. And so in that respect, we're talking about food, you know, we're talking about uh, growing, you know, growing things, changing products. What, what's your view on the trends and this fits nice in systems and innovation of a common shared ownership of essential seeds and genomes that's accessible to all so that, you know, the future of agriculture doesn't belong just to one company? Oh, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> um, well done for putting that one together yeah. <laughs> on the fly. Um, well, I, don't, I don't know the answer to a lot of that. Uh, there are people I know who do, um, but you're probably asking more so about regulation and um, what are people going to do to control things, right? I mean, this is one of those questions where it's just more like, you know, what are more detailed questions we can ask off the back of that? You know, I don't yeah. think we're going to find the answer within 30 seconds, but yeah. really it's just like, for me, it's just more like, you know, where does that debate sit in terms of having this common, this common wealth of seeds and stuff that's like accessible to all so that we don't put agricultural sovereignty in the hands of one private company? Well, so, yeah, it's good. I mean, I used to work in pharma, so it's, uh, you used a pharma example there um, with regards to a COVID drug. I mean, it's probably, it's a bit pessimistic, but it's probably going to go that way, right? Um, because if you think about things that are pretty valuable, seeds, mm -hmm. water, other key commodities, I mean, it's very rare that a government would control all that. Um, so I, I think maybe there needs to be some degree of regulation in the future, but it depends on your view of, uh, of economics and the way that societies should function, uh, whether or not government should uh, intervene in things like this. Um, when it comes to food, I think they should. Um, when it comes to drugs, I think they should. Um, so my view is that there should be more regulation um, over things like this. And I agree with your point that in the future, um, it's probably going to get pretty bad. Uh, if we start seeing shortages in particular seeds or particular seed um, types dying off, unavailability in different markets, then you'll get a power play between different countries, some who have more wealth than others. Um, so yeah, I, but 
overall, I don't have the answer to that question. I think I've answered it okay, but. <laughs> no, that's it. I wasn't even thinking about this until today. So thank you for giving me an additional worry to concern about it. Thanks, thanks for killing me with like uh, all the questions. <laughs> Uh, so, so in, in terms of innovation regarding vertical future, what what is the kind of key innovative, you know, set of uh, propositions here, you know, that you you not that you tell people about? We didn't really start out as a technology company, and I don't actually really like using that term because um, tech plays, you know, are generally companies that just never make a profit and just um, always need to raise loads of capital to keep going. So we we started out. Um, learning about growing so building a, a brand our, our consumer brand mini crops um running a farm using different people's technologies and working with engineering companies that were kind of leaders at the time in the industry spent that time thinking about well, where are the the failures the market failures um how does this system work and how could we improve on this technology raised some capital brought uh, some very experienced people in you know head of r d came over from uh, British American Tobacco, uh, head of engineering from TFL, um, and a whole host of other people who were, we just basically sat down and said, right, how can we reinvent this? So our, I guess our leading value propositions are in things like automation. So um, we're, we're building close to uh, completing our, our first uh, high-tech site, which is effectively a fully automated site from beginning to end. So you have a lot of companies that say they have fully automated systems because the lights switch on and off automatically or the temperature and humidity change. But ours is a system which focuses on every single aspect of the farming process, which is labor intensive. So that goes from the seeding and the, and the um, pretreatment as well. Uh, it goes, extends through to the actual growing process. So if uh, a lettuce takes, a piece of lettuce takes 25 days to grow, it takes 25 days for it to move across our production system and pop out the other end. Then the, then the harvesting is automated as well. So um, to, to kind of drive that, we've developed a, um, an advanced lighting solution where you can basically change the frequency and intensity of the, the lighting depending on the type of product and where the product is in its growth cycle. That's key. Um, another key value proposition that we focused on is flexibility. So like the pandemic that we're going through right now, um, who knows uh, what's going to happen to demand in the future or if suddenly people don't want to eat lettuce anymore. Maybe they want to eat something else. So um, most vertical farming systems to date have been have focused on using very rigid bench systems that you can't adapt, you can't change. Um, and for me, that's not the way to go. So our systems are adaptable, flexible. Um, we use different types of nutrient delivery. So we use aeroponics and hydroponics depending on the type of crop. So that's another um, example of flexibility. And then the final area is data. So we've um, almost finished our platform. It's called Diana, which is uh, named after Wonder Woman. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> nice. really in interesting name, but yeah, we thought we'd come up with one. Um, and that's basically a, um, a, a smart control system which looks after everything uh, in the farm, collects data, optimizes uh, the grow uh, growing process if required, has a CRM platform that integrates with our customers, um, and all the bells and whistles that go with it. Um, so, basically, in, in, in full, fully automated advanced system minimal need for kind of human interaction with the growing process. So a uh, reduced risk of things like pathogens and um, uh, bacteria coming into the growing environment uh, and an overall uh, reduction in CapEx and OpEx. So it, um, as a result, in, uh, as an example, we, we did this system for us. 
we didn't actually um, set out on this kind of journey to sell systems to other people. We just wanted to improve the way that we do things and improve our, our, uh, our margins. Um, but as a result, we've got, a, I think, about 25 plus projects in the pipeline for people that want to buy our technologies. Um, we, we complete our first licensing deal in uh, two months, subject to COVID. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, I think that's answered your question, hopefully. Yeah, that's nice. But I, I, I'm kind of shocked that I didn't hear the term Internet of Lettuces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the great thing here obviously what we're seeing is that you've actually built a real i love what you said at the beginning like you know we're not really a tech company just like you know raising funds on a pitch deck and then just like you know wasting it for the next five years on parties so i mean like, as a technologist myself i just have to say you know hats off that tech sounds really impressive uh, what you've built and so you actually raised you answered the question that I was going to ask you anyway, but I guess maybe let's go a bit deeper into that. So let's talk about the products aspect, right? So, you know, on a first level, one would say, okay, well, your product is you have this proprietary stack, which you can use to, you know, have a integrated production chain and sell products to restaurants, people, etc. cetera, uh, as an owner operator. Would you say like as a company, and you know, I, you know, feel free to go as much in detail or not as you wish. Uh, would you say like it's, it's more that for you, like really expanding this? Or do you kind of see yourself ultimately as kind of a, uh, how do you say this, uh, farm as a service for people that have the capital to deploy uh, such infrastructure? It's a question that we're asking ourselves and I think that we'll probably answer in the next two years. Okay. You're, you're ultimately asking, do we consider ourselves more as a, uh, a technology provider and builder of systems or a grower, which are fundamentally the two separate areas, uh, two distinct areas of the vertical farming market, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, to, to, I mean, uh, by the way, it's really good that you're actually using the technology, right? So you're not just technologists, you're actually building it. Yeah. But I was just asking for you guys in terms of the company of its growth, you know, is it more like having a, a, a just, you know, um, you're kind of an existing limited suite of spaces, supplying, but then using that as kind of a testing ground to build a really scalable technology offering? Um, it, it, it's, it's both. We've, I think one of the reasons that people have been interested in our technology has been because we, we didn't just kind of set up and be like, well, okay, we can build you a, an advanced vertical farming system and, you know, we're the, we're the best in the world. Um, you know, I didn't come from farming, but I spent a number of years as the, pe the people in my team kind of learning, as I said, where all the issues are. Um, we brought in a really experienced team to work with us. We're not just kind of, young people bring great things to the table, right? But you also need really experienced people in yeah. your team, especially when it comes to engineering. And especially when it comes to even basic stuff like managing um, builders and plumbers and uh, <laughs> everything counts, you know, when it comes yeah. to developing a solution that, you know, improves your margins. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, we're, we're a bit of both at present. And I like being in that space because we can talk to both areas. But ultimately, yeah, like most companies, you usually have to make a decision about, about your kind of true identity at some point. Yeah, and... Um Obviously, we're like we're talking about the, these kind of seven areas here of the design company, you know. So we talked about purpose, people, systems, innovation, products. But how does the money stack up here? Pun fully intended. You're asking, are we profitable? Uh, not necessarily. Well, I mean, is that core Just core measure? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is that core measure? You know, the, uh, that that whole term of profitability seems to have gone down the you know down the river for the last decade, uh, more or less. So, what is the core sort of monetary kind of consideration yeah. you're having here? 
So before we raised our seed round, our four, formerly in seed round last October in 2019, uh, we, got, we got our pilot site um, and main business uh, in basically into profitability, just about. Um, and that was a key achievement. And that was something that we really use with investors to show, look, you know, um, we don't just have ideas. We know how to run a small business because ultimately I think you have to adopt a small business mentality and then talk about how you can scale that. Um, now that we've gone from five staff to 20 staff, which is going to be 35 in a few months, um, of course, we're making a, a large uh, operating loss this year because we're building our new site. And um, so it's not really a good benchmark year. Uh, but once we, when we complete our first licensing deal in a few months, so all the revenue kicking from, from that in, um, will finish kicking in in Q2 2021, um, we, should, we should turn profit next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends how you separate it out, operating profit from our operations or, um, you know, profit from, uh, from our technology side of things. Sometimes it's not good to kind of, um, bring the two together, but I'd be a bit of a hypocrite if I sat here and said, we're not a technology business that just wants to burn or burn cash all the time and just be dependent on raising money. If I didn't then say that we're even close to turning a profit. So. Yeah, I mean, to be honest though, Jamie, that's, that's just like part of growth, right? I mean, what yeah. I love is like you've actually started and said, okay, let's do, as you said, a small business, you know, make the unit, unit economics kind of work and then scale that. Like I see so many people that are like, oh, I'm losing 50 pence for every pound. Let me scale that X1 million. <laughs> it's yeah, just that's not sustainable. Bit, that's a bit of a blunt analysis, isn't it? But <laughs> no, well, I, I like to like to say, you know, keep it real and go to the thing. There's obviously more details, but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is here, it's all about the mindset. And so these are the kind of businesses like yours that I appreciate, which is people saying, okay, you know, well, let's make something that works, not just on product, customer and quality side, but also that actually that is sustainable in itself. And then that is something that you can scale. So obviously now you're in the technology phase, the licensing, but that's why it's a growth capital, right? It's to bridge you between that gap. But the essential thing is on the money side, you start to be something that works. And so the cost to scaling for me, like I don't really care like financially about that loss because that's just part of the scaling strategy. Yep. But the core business, the core idea is super sound. Exactly. Do you want to uh, come and work for us? Um, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> happily try out your strawberries. <laughs> Anytime. If you so, like... <laughs> so which vegetables are you actually growing? Like what, what is the actual you know, range of, of products in the, in the kind of the vegetable stock? Sure. So we, we started out with, um, like most people, uh, your kind of micro veg, micro greens, um, a bit of baby leaf, um, edible flowers, um, and then some root veg, but not too much, like miniature stuff. Um, and then uh, we've transitioned on to, well, uh, the, the site that will be com complete in September will be almost um, all kind of baby leaf. So uh, salad, basically bag salad, if you go into Tesco's or Waitrose or wherever you shop. Um, so yeah, because I, I, I mean, that's more, it's longer to grow, more complicated, requires more energy, lower price point, but it's more mass market. Um, I think we, we want to move away from the model, which is, just the high margin stuff, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think in a year's time, our farms will be probably, it's hard to put percentage on it, but maybe 70% kind of baby leaf and full head lettuce as well. So things like remain lettuce. Um, and the, you know, the remainder will be your kind of, um, more kind of restaurant uh, stuff, you know, your, your, your garnishes and some of your full size herbs and things like that. And then, um, probably some fruits as well. So, um, 
but that's something that we're really just starting out on and we need to do a lot of R&D on before we uh, think about pursuing it. Cool. If you need somebody to, you know, help you in the R&D process for training out the fruits, I'll happily sacrifice myself. You're the man. <laughs> that's one. Noted. So, uh, there's actually one question I'd like to ask, and this kind of encompasses products, money, and growth. So <clears throat> if you look at the way um, the food chain used to work, right? So the food supply chain, you know, you'd have all these individual producers, you have the big people that I'm talking kind of an import, export, go by supply chain, right? You have all these, in, um, all these producers, you have these people like getting all that stuff together. They're then exporting that as a huge container, huge batch down to an import on the other end. Because it sends it out to distributors, who sends it out to the consumers, right? So what are you seeing in terms of alternative consumption models? Because it seems to me that, you know, supposing I have the capital and I can lease out your tech, then basically I can just run a branding exercise where I'm building a direct relationship with the consumers of my food. And that's quite interesting because it raises ideas of, you know, recurring subscriptions, etc. So if we're just talking about kind of the growth in, per, in and the evolution, maybe not now because it's still quite marginal, but in the future of how our relationship to our food sellers and our payment for that is going to evolve. Do you see any potential ideas over there? I think you're going to see fewer people in the chain. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think you're going to, well, you, which basically means some degree of vertical integration. Um, and the localization in some respects, of, they'll still be, returning to the discussion we had earlier, there'll still be a lot of imports and products coming from overseas, mm -hmm. but from products that we can grow vertically, um, or through other means uh, locally, people will do it. And I think we're going to see probably a number of very large vertical farming companies. Um, and, and, and sorry, when I say vertical farming, I should also probably include, you know, broader definitions like um, glass houses where, you know, not necessarily vertical farming, but glass houses that are using um, like growing tomatoes, like in the UK that are using supplemental uh, LED lighting. Um, but I, I think in general, you'll see an, a, a couple of large vertical farming players, and then you'll see loads of very small backyard farms, um, medium-sized ones, looking after their areas. And they'll kind of, um, they'll take the pie in, in each kind of uh, region. If you think about like, maybe in Shoreditch, you'll have a couple, and um, over in you know Chelsea and Mayfair, a couple. So I, I just think it's like you're the, um, almost like, um, circular economies, kind of micro-circular economies, where um, a lot of things will be localized. Hmm. Okay. So on that local level then, do you see that maybe it's like, you know, competing companies or do you see kind of consolidation, but not in a corporate way, more like a kind of cooperative way? You mean, will it be more, well, will it be more of a private enterprise model or will it be a cooperative, well? Oh, well. When, I, when I'm saying cooperative, I'm just thinking more like individual private enterprises that would be kind of a community-led cooperative because that, that's what you said uh, inspired in me really as a... As that would a be nice. That would be nice, but I, I don't know if it will go that way. Um, <laughs> I think it will more likely be private enterprises. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I, li I like that you give us both the optimist answer and the uh, realist answer. Yeah, just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, Jason, do you have um, so, any other questions? So you're talking about growth. It seems like you're growing massively. Tell us a little bit more about those prospects for next maybe one to 10 years even. I cannot tell you about 10 years because I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next week. But um, no, uh, I think, I mean, in terms of the next 12 months, I said, you know, we're completing our first licensing deal. Um, we're finishing um, the, the kind of advanced farm that we'll launch in September. Um, 
being part of a, there's a vertical farming world congress as well where we'll kind of launch that um touch wood all, all things being okay with covid um then after that it really depends on on which of these projects we pursue of the 25 i mentioned we've got a couple of large potential partnerships with uh, national and international uh, very large retail brands i can't tell you their names uh, due to confidentiality um so we'll probably do at least one of those um and then we're looking at uh, we're currently in commercial negotiations to kind of build a um roughly 10,000 square meter site uh, in london um and that i think will be the largest urban vertical farm in the world people keep coming out and saying they have the largest this or the largest that and i'm never really sure to be honest um but in terms of a densely populated city globally i think we will be the most central one so um but that doesn't really mean anything but um it'll be a pretty pretty big farm uh growing lots of different things for not just retailers but local communities as well um and then where do we go after that i um i'm not sure you know we we we're, we're just kind of seeing how the market evolves it's a very very fast moving market um we'll do a a large equity raise next year uh which we're already planning for so that will probably be in q2 um and uh obviously we have some ideas for that we're going to do do a lot more on the r&d side so um we just in the process of recruiting two more r&d people for the team um so and also have some interesting partnerships there so looking at things like nutraceuticals with uh, nutraceutical companies that's an interesting area um maybe in the future also looking at hemp and uh and and marijuana i think that um whether or not it's legal marijuana or medicinal it's an interesting market um obviously regulations are very very tight so getting a license from the home office is nigh on impossible and there's a lot of security issues around it as well um but uh it's an area that we'll probably look at wow that's quite that's quite a uh, inspirational story like i mean you've you've you're doing extremely well in in the respect of like joining all of this together i i i feel mo this is like an example of a properly like designed company uh case study here where like all the elements are at play and literally you know uh Jamie has got got it all kind of balanced out like Jamie what's your biggest challenge at the company at the moment organizing all those things in my head <laughs> probably uh it's uh yeah the, with a lot of things going on it can be um it can be difficult to focus sometimes um so my board always tells me and um other leadership in our company that you know we need to focus on different things and um even with a team of 20 you know it's a lot of work to get on with um grant proposals as well um all the operational stuff that goes with running a business um it's it's just a resource and time thing but i think that that challenge is probably the same for a lot of people who are running or involved in um in a startup or any type of business to be honest i mean if you, if you um if you come over from like the consulting world where where i was before the last company i was um, one of the last companies i was at was ey um and they had what tens of thousands of staff and you know god knows how much money um so things were a lot easier but when you have a startup you've got to do everything yourself so or within a small team i mean it must be pretty satisfying though for you right going from making slides about how the world might change to actually like delivering stuff going from the slides to the to the technology the delivery the you see what i mean yeah well i still make lots of powerpoint slides yeah but it's it's not <laughs> it's, a, it's a passion of mine yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm not i'm not criticizing as such it's just more this idea of no no like, no i'm jo- i'm i'm joking uh no no you yeah it's, i it's the usual meme it's just more this like also satisfaction of being able to execute on something 
in that sense. Yeah, I d don't really, I mean, honestly, I don't really feel like we've achieved a lot yet. Um, in the context of what we want to do, um, you know, we're doing well. We have um, people know about us in the industry. We have a lot going on. Um, but I, you know, we look at our mission. We want to improve health. Um, building systems that are great and, um, you know, turning good revenue and all that are great things. But until we're actually able to kind of um, show from an from a evidence-based standpoint that we can actually uh, achieve that end goal, we, we haven't really um, achieved much in our own eyes. But, you know, I think that they're pretty high standards. But um, that's kind of where, where I want to go. So uh, for me, it's, it's been an interesting thing, actually. We're talking about vertical uh, future. And, and this week, the government has announced that website, Pick for Britain, which went like crashed immediately. So I just feel like the timing is like perfect for this kind of venture. And I can also see people getting used to this um, now and, and then it sticking for the rest of the time. Uh, as a kind of the way to be because we all want more organic directly farmed nearby uh, as sustainable as possible so like really appreciate you Jamie coming on uh, to the podcast at relatively short notice and kind of cold as well so maybe next year we can check in again with you and see how you've got on and uh, you know if we can be in, in any way shape or form uh, of help and assistance you know please do reach out to us and, you know, we'll more than happily, you know, kind of put the word out there, you know, with uh, like LinkedIn networks and all that kind of stuff. So Thanks. quick question, Jamie, for, for viewers, if we want to actually buy your produce, how can we do that? Uh, so you can go to mini crops. That's M I N I C R O P S.com. Okay. Um, we're actually going to a rebrand at the minute. So the website's okay, but um, a couple of weeks and it will look completely different. Um, and yeah, you can buy product on there. Um, and obviously our main website is verticalfuture.co.uk. Um, so yeah, check us out. And, um, we, we do accept, not obviously not the minute, but we do accept visits. We get a lot of requests, but, um, we'll probably start to do group visits and, um, you know, you guys are obviously welcome down, uh, anytime. I don't, I didn't actually ask where you're based. Um, yeah, so I, I live in Wimbledon and oh, well, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'm currently living in the southeast of France, close to the Alps. Ah, very nice. <laughs> so do you, have, do you have plans going forward? I, I, right now, your, your UK business, do you have like plans to expand internationally? Uh, well, yeah, I think we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I think we, we do have some uh, licensing projects that we are discussing overseas. Um, but in terms of us building a farm and running it overseas that's not something that's really on our immediate kind of short or medium term um timeline at present i think i think the uk is already a big enough market yeah to totally. tackle, uh and london you know so um but at some point it would be a, a dream to kind of scale internationally but i think it needs to i think a lot of companies they 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 kind of you know run before they can walk um and yeah. uh yeah don't don't want to move too fast no, i mean no. i was about to say jamie do you have any like kind of f words of wisdom for us as we wrap up this podcast but you literally just said what i was hoping that you would say which was people run before they walk <laughs> so you know just start with a healthy foundation and go from there yeah i think that's it really slow slow down um which yeah was probably if people who people who know me uh kind of heard me say that they'd probably laugh because i'm, I'm like a workaholic um, but, uh, I, 
I genuinely think that, yeah, sometimes with, with everything going on with the business, like just taking a breath and kind of slowing down, you actually get more done. You're more focused. Um, and I think the first couple of years of the business, I just wanted to move so quickly. And um, But actually, you know, um, it's a fast-moving market, but take your time. if you have a great solution, take your time and, you know, things will happen. The market's not going to run away. Fantastic. Jamie, thank you so much for participating and all the best to you, your venture and your uh, partner actually in crime, so to speak. And let's check back in maybe in a year's time as well. And hopefully everything will be much bigger and better yet and growing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No problem. Thank you so much. Okay. You. All the best. All right. Take care.